Hi everyone, I'm David Green. Welcome to episode four of series nine of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. In this series of the podcast, we continue to explore the importance of skills, reskilling and continuous learning, as well as the shift to on-demand and personalised learning. In this episode, my guest is Simon Brown, Chief Learning Officer at Novartist, a company that is really setting the pace around the whole learning and skills agenda. Simon believes that curiosity is the greatest driver of value in the digital age. And as well as being co-author of a fascinating new book, The Curious Advantage, Simon and his team at Novartis have instigated Curiosity Month at Novartis, an integrated learning experience of 170 events throughout September, featuring internal and external speakers. In our conversation, which took place just before the start of Curiosity Month, Simon and I discuss the increasing importance of curiosity, its intrinsic link to learning, and the seven C's of curiosity model that Simon and his co-authors outline in their book. We look at how curiosity is nurtured in practice at Novartis and the business value it provides. We also look at how Novartis is embedding analytics into learning and measuring skills. We look at the impact of learning on performance, retention and mobility at, at Novartis. And we also look into our crystal balls and look at the role of L&D in 2030 and whether the chief learning officer will report directly into the CEO. This episode is a must listen for anyone interested or involved in learning skills and culture development. So that's business leaders, CHROs, chief learning officers, and anyone in a people analytics, workforce planning, learning or HR business partner role. Before we get started, a brief word from our sponsor for series nine of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. This podcast series is sponsored by Degreed, the workforce upskilling platform for one third of Fortune 50 companies. Degreed integrates and curates all the resources people use to learn, including learning management systems and millions of courses, videos, articles, books and podcasts, using behavioural and data science to analyse everyone's skills and to automatically personalise career development based on their jobs, strengths and goals. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Simon Brown, Chief Learning Officer at Novartis and co-author of a fascinating new book, The Curious Advantage to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Welcome to the show, Simon. It's, it's great to have you on. Thank you for your time. Can you provide listeners with a brief introduction to your background and role at Novartis? Yeah, thank you, David. I'm thrilled to be here, so I appreciate the invite. Uh, so my role at Novartis, I'm our Chief Learning Officer, so accountable for learning across our 108,000 associates uh, all around the world. Um, Novartis is a focused medicines company um, with a mission to improve and extend patients' lives. And last year, we supported about 800 million patients around the world, so having a significant impact. Uh, my background has been learning across various companies, um, Accenture. Lloyd's Banking Group, etc. Well, great to have you on the on the show. I think let's start with um, obviously you've co-authored a new book, The Curious Advantage. Um, been t- tuning into the podcast as well. Some some fascinating discussions going on. Can you share your perspective on curiosity and why is it essential in today's and, and probably tomorrow's world? 
Yeah, so uh, curiosity is a key part of the culture at Novartis. And about two years ago, um, a couple of people said, you know, you should write a book about what you're doing. Um, so uh, over the course of the last 18 months or so, I took that to heart and have explored with uh, co-authors Paul and Garrick, going deeper into curiosity and really having a, a sense of wonder about the world and asking questions of what if, and then actually putting those questions into action of exploring and experimenting and, and learning and the book is really a, an exploration of curiosity uh, interweaved with the story of, of Novartis and other large organizations as well. Great and in the in the book you um, outline the seven C's of curiosity model mm. I'm not going to ask you to go into them too deeply today I'm, I'm, that probably would be a separate podcast but but it'd be good to understand them at, at a high level um, and also what the critical components of, of, of curiosity are. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the seven C's was a was a model that we came up with through the course of our, our research and our thinking, and it's there to guide people through being more curious, really to provide some structure around how to, to be better, if you like, at building the skill around curiosity. Um, it's, I think we came up with five originally, and as we further explored, it, it turned into into the seven, and we realised there were seven that began with the letter C, um, which which then had the the nice analogy of sailing the seven seas of curiosity. So that was where it came from. Just to, to very quickly walk through them, so it starts with context, which is around understanding where you are and what it is that you want to be curious about. So putting a focus into your curiosity, maybe with some some curious questions. Uh, then to explore that context with a community. So who are the people who can help you in understanding that? Who are the experts? Who are the people who can guide you, help you with with that question and and the the detail that you need to be able to answer it? All of that produces a lot of information. So you then get into curation, the third C. So how do you find out what's important, what's going to help you and what do you disregard because there's so much there? And then it's around adding your own build on it. So creativity. So what are the, the questions that you need to ask, the, the new thoughts that you can bring to the area? Uh, and then the other part of creativity is asking those questions is fine, but you need to put it into action. Um, and so the action is con- we call construction. So that's the experimentation. It's the testing things out. It's the trying things. It's maybe failing. And, and what do we learn from that failure? Uh, next one is criticality. So then sort of reflecting on what you've done, what biases did you bring, what worked, what didn't work. Uh, and then the research showed us that if you go through all of those steps, then actually the process of being curious actually builds your confidence. Uh, and that's the, the seventh of the seven C's. I and mean, it's also arguably the first one, because in, in building your confidence, it actually takes you back to the beginning. That means you can then be bolder in the questions that you're asking. Uh, and, you know, it, it inspires you to, to be more curious. So that's the sort of the sequence, if you like, or the flow as you go through the, the, the seven C's. Well, given my age, I did think of the uh, the orchestral maneuvers in the dark records uh, when, I, when I first saw them. Um, what I particularly found interesting was the, the notion of critical you talked a, a little bit about it there. Can you tell us a bit more about that one? So I think that's that that will help shape the the rest of our conversation. Yeah. yeah. So so looking at um, I guess what what biases either conscious or or subconscious do we bring in? So you know, in asking a question and and then experimenting to see um, whether that question comes true, you know, we may be actually. Um, looking for confirmation bias in in what we do, and actually, the, the, therefore, we look at the results you know, it, it, and read one thing into it, but actually, maybe that that's not what we're telling us. There's also a piece in there around um, 
I guess the the unconscious biases that we bring around the benefits of having a diverse team, um, of really being objective around the results that we're seeing, uh, and a piece around sort of the the acceptance of failure as well. And and actually, it's okay to say it didn't achieve the results we want, but we can still take something from that and learn from it. Um, and sort of what what we call a failure maybe isn't a failure. It's actually we've just learned a, a way that doesn't work, or we've learned something that we can now pivot on and do something different that we wouldn't have done if we hadn't gone through that that first step. So there's there's a whole piece in there around criticality that, that we can unpack. Great, and I think we're going to hear a bit more about that. I think as we we now look into how you've applied it in mm. practice at Novartis, how do you nurture curiosity in, in, in actual in practice at Novartis? What are some of the things you do? Yeah, so we've been on um, a two-year journey, I guess, now around um, our culture of inspired, curious, and and unbossed. And specifically on the curious part, um, we've been working to... I guess provide Novartis Associates our ambition is with the the best opportunities to learn and develop of of any company Um, so initially that was giving easy access to the best possible content Um, so unpicking that there's several parts of easy access means trying to make it easy for people to find and gain access to content Um, so so that's around how we make it available through systems etc then there's the content itself so um, we added access for all associates to LinkedIn learning, to Coursera, et cetera. So they can then um, choose whatever it is they want to learn, whether it aligns directly to the role or even if it's at a peripheral area or something of personal interest, um, content's available and people can do it. So so one is that easy access to content. But then the second part is also the support and, and the culture that supports people in actually being able to spend time learning. Uh, and if we look at our survey, engagement surveys that we do regularly, the two sort of biggest barriers to people being able to take advantage of learning is I don't have time to learn and my manager doesn't support me in my learning and so we were quite explicit around uh, setting an aspiration of people spending five percent of their time or 100 hours a year um, on their own learning and curiosity and development Uh, and that was not because 100 hours is a scientific measure of what one should spend on learning, but actually it was a symbol to um, say the company wants people to be spending time learning. We see the value in people building their own skills and building the skills that the company needs. Uh, And therefore, by setting that aspiration, it it creates the space that people can uh, invest their time in taking advantage then of the the great content. Because just putting the content out there doesn't mean people feel that they've got the, the opportunity to actually use it. So a couple of follow-ups on that. I think, firstly, um, you, you, obviously you talked about skills. How do you link the, the learning to skills? Um, obviously, you talked about the skills that the artist needs. Is there is there come a, a nice link there between the two? Yeah, so um, I guess different levels from having content tagged against skills, etc., um, through to having skills assessments that maybe can point you towards the, the right learning, having playlists around particular themes like remote working or whatever, So, and then having content that's been curated behind that. And we, have a, we have a content curation team now where um, people from the, the business can then say, okay, I need to build a skill in my workforce around X, and the, the, the team can then curate from across the the different libraries that we have in order to be able to find the best learning that supports that skill and then there's a big measurement piece in there as well of seeing whether that skill has, has changed over time too okay we'll definitely come back to the measurement in a minute and then the other thing you talked about that, that was flagged in the engagement survey is manager support so how have you driven you know how have you where some managers aren't supporting how have you have you turned that around yeah, so again it's a mixture of pieces through 
communication, I guess, general culture messaging, but also then role playing, um, or sorry, role modeling rather than role playing, role modeling from uh, within our, our leadership. So um, we're very fortunate that our CEO is very supportive around curiosity and continuous learning um, and is, is a fantastic role model around his own learning. Um, but we see that across many of our leadership teams as well of role modeling, um, being curious and spending time learning. And that then helps to create a, an expectation across our our managers as well that they personally should be learning uh, and also you know encouraging their their teams to be spending time learning as well and I was talking to CLO of a, another large organization uh, recently who was talking about how uh, the analysis they did was able to correlate the learning of the manager with the learning of the team that the more learning the manager did actually that that uh, had a shadow if you like onto the team in order to um, have a team that actually invested more time themselves in learning as well so from a manager perspective set the example but actually as a manager you're being measured as well on the success of your team so if you're learning they're likely to learn as well and and Yep, and we and we saw that the the other way as well. So with our, within our own data, um, we looked at um, correlating some of our different surveys that we do, and we saw that if someone felt a manager was favourable versus unfavourable, um, not surprisingly, that had a big measure across uh, many different metrics. But the biggest metric it had an impact on was curiosity, and there's a 22 point difference between a favourable manager and an unfavourable manager around curiosity. Yeah, that's quite significant, and that kind of leads into sort of next. Next question I was going to ask, you know, what what have you found to be the business value of, of, of being curious? Yeah, so I guess m- many aspects of, of how um, curiosity sort of supports our our business. So, uh, I mean, the nature of what we do as a scientific organisation, um, it's around scientific discovery, um, trying to find new ways, new molecules that will will cure. Uh, diseases and therefore you know, there's, there's a natural piece in there of, of curiosity supporting us through that um, but also then the curiosity to to motivate people to learn to build new skills and those skills need being being needed to support our strategies so we have five strategic pillars. If we take one of those as an example, data and digital, um, part of the, the rationale for us going big on learning was to create the, the skills needed to support um, the strategy around data and digital and others. Uh, so we can actually now look at how the skills um, or the, the learning that people are doing ties to those skills. Back to your, your earlier question. So if we take something like um, data validation or data visualization, that is a key part within data and digital, how you display the, the insights, we can see 18 months ago we were behind our peers on data visualization based on multiple sort of skills indexes and then we can see over the course of the last 18 months how that skills level raised up across the organization to a point to the q3 q4 last year it, it met the industry benchmark and then it's now sort of surpassed the, the industry benchmark so we can see how sort of learning curiosity ties to skills skills tying to skills improvement over time what we haven't got yet is the, the then you know, what that actually impacts through in terms of you know a hard financial metric or whatever. But but ultimately, you know, if we've got more people with the right skills in the area that is strategically important, that has to be a good thing for the organisation. And and having the the latest skills rather than bringing three year old or five year old skills to the to the picture. So. And, and and you've talked a little bit about how you're in, in embedding this curiosity across your workforce. I know um, we're, we're recording this in in. At the end of August, I know that you've got a big month coming up in September, Curiosity Month. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I know we had a pre-call last week and it sounds very exciting. 
Yeah, so I think two years ago we had our first sort of learning month, um, which we we wanted to do something around promoting the different learning offerings and, and getting people excited about learning. And we're like, you know, should we should we do a day? Should we maybe do a week? <laughs> and we decided let's let's do a whole month. Um, so so we did that two years ago. It was so successful in having sort of a series of events and, and activities and promoting the offerings. We did it again last year, and last year we wrapped it up in a curiosity quarter where we had a whole quarter focused around different things curiosity wise this year we've, we've gone with curiosity month um obviously with covid that creates uh, some some challenges because last year we had 250 face-to-face events around the world that took place this year we at the moment we're on about 180 um virtual events that will take place with internal speakers and, and external um thought leaders and, and speakers um it'll be simultaneously translated into six languages um and, and there's a, a lot of excitement around it and it's really trying to generate that visibility and excitement around opportunities to learn around what's going on across the company around the great resources that are there and back to the earlier question showing that learning is something that is important for the company and that managers should be encouraging supporting that associates have the time because we're putting on these events that and they you people can slot them into the diary that to, to make the time to be able to get into a habit around continuous learning and I know that you you've already been you know pre COVID you're already doing virtual learning anyway. I, I I was fortunate to be involved in something in back in June with uh, mm-hmm. Ashish Pant who leads people analytics in Novartis for your oncology team, and it was I guess part of the data and digital uh, strategic arm that you spoke about. You know to actually help HR or P and O partners um, yeah. in in the oncology team to to understand. What Novartis is doing in people analysis, which is quite significant, but also um, learn from what's what's happening on, on the outside space as well. And I must admit, I think the nautical theme was on there as well. It was it was very impressive. But you'd already been thinking about the delivering learning virtually anyway, I guess, because you're such a large organisation spread across the world. So you almost had an advantage on other organisations. You had to get started from scratch when the crisis happened. Yeah, we, we were very fortunate, I guess, to have started our, our, if you like, learning transformation journey two years ago or so, 18 months ago. Um, and so you know, a number of things have been put in place that helped us. And, and arguably, you know, some of that started five, six years ago when we started a consolidation of our learning platforms. We used to have 14 learning management systems. By the end of last year, we'd consolidated that down to, to one main system and things. So some some of that had been a journey we were already on. Um, and and other pieces, we, we had the, the virtual content libraries that were um, we brought in April last year. So it meant um, we were very fortunate to be able to react quickly to the COVID situation and we could um, very quickly curate the content that was already there. We could put together playlists. We could sort of stand up mini portals that could um, provide people, you know, this is where you go for working from home. This is where you go for how to use Microsoft Teams. You know, here's a great course on resilience to help you through this. Um, so the, we were able to, to very quickly respond and that seemed to, to, to work well for associates in helping them to, to have what was needed at a very difficult time. And you know what are th- you probably get asked this a lot, but what what are some of the tools and technologies that you use at Novartis, um, or have seen other organisations using to try and foster a culture of curiosity? Um, I believe you've used virtual reality, for example, at, at Novartis um, to to help create to practice and create psychological safety, for example. Yeah, so um, I mean, there's there's different levels, I guess, from sort of the platforms, the content, um, and then some of the specific solutions. So, and there's the core learning management system. Uh, there's then the content platforms that sit on those. Um, 
which also spans out into things like language learning um, and scientific talks and things that may, that may sit in their own wrappers as well. Uh, there's then you know, new technologies uh, or emerging technology like, like virtual reality and augmented reality. So um, we've had some success with those around um, virtual reality in um, uh, the one you, you referenced. We're working on psychological safety aspect of it at the moment, but also virtual reality in, in manufacturing in particular. So in our Austria manufacturing site in Kundal, they did a, a virtual reality training for line clearance of where you have the, the manufacturing line and you have the, the medicines and the packaging and, and um, between the different products going through that line, it has to be completely cleared down. Historically, that would be shut down the line and you would then train someone on how to do it and the line couldn't be working. We've recreated that entirely in virtual reality and it meant the line could keep running and you could do the training offline or outside of that in, in virtual reality. Um, and I mean, that had a return on investment of four or five weeks. It was um, it, it was incredible that the impact it can have. So um, yeah, more and more we're, we're looking at where can we use those types of technologies as well. You then have things like spaced repetition and gaming, uh, gamification that we use in some of our um, sales knowledge and things as well. So adaptive learning in other areas. So it's it sort of, I guess, different technologies for different use cases. Um, and then at the core of that, the, the learning management systems track all of the data and the training records and how how big is the, the learning the learning team at novartis because um he's got quite a significant operation there i guess which shows yeah. shows that that learning is important at novartis yeah we're about a thousand people around the world um but also and factor into that that includes um for example sales training where we need people in local countries in local language with the complexity of, of, of the 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 product lines, etc. So it may seem like a large number, but uh, and it is a large number. Um, but it, it's across you know, very different parts of the business and core, core sort of central team and and the the local, uh, regional and and local geographic teams as well. And back to the sort of the virtual reality. What was the the trainee the people that are being trained? What's their response to to being trained in virtual reality? It's uh, positive. I think there's there's a, a novelty piece initially. Um, you, you get into some fascinating things of um, that you wouldn't have thought of. Like um, we had some uh, health and safety considerations that we needed to do with this line clearance one, where um, you imagine it being being run in a in a big room, big empty room, and you've got the. Uh, the, the manufacturing line in front of you and people have to get down at one point underneath the machine in order to sort of check that there's nothing on the floor and you then get people who lift themselves up on the machine but of course the machine isn't there it's virtual and you end up falling on the floor because you've tried to pull yourself up on something that that doesn't exist so things like that that we'd never have thought of it's like oh okay how do, how do we handle <laughs> handle that in order to uh, avoid any issues so I think overall you know very positive and there is is a, a novelty element I think when you first try it as well um, but it's it's very effective at, at what it needs to do and I think that that the immersive aspect of it actually sort of strengthens some of the the training recall and um, um, retention from it as well so I, I guess this technology is going to accelerate and develop anyway but, but yeah it's, that's quite an interesting uh, consideration of, and yeah I can understand why you know you might not have thought about that one before has um, so we're kind of well, we're August, so we're kind of six months into the crisis, seven months for you know for for for, for those listening from China. You know, how have you continued to nurture curiosity at Novartis during lockdown, and as people continue to work from home? Because I think you had a significant shift of of, of people that suddenly went virtual. 
Yeah, so we had about 60,000 people switch to virtual over the course of a weekend. So, um, yeah, huge, huge change. Um, And in doing that, um, starting to work through Microsoft Teams, which many people were not familiar with at at that point in time as well. So our our initial reaction was, how do we we immediately give people the the tools that they need? And and week one, that was sort of how to use Teams. And if we look at our um, content usage over over that time, then the most popular course the week after that 60,000 switch to to remote working was uh, how to use Microsoft Teams. the second week, uh, the number one course was around working from home, uh, managing your time, and that also included, you know, how to set up monitors and keyboards, and you know, where to put your desk and all, all of these things in order to, you know, how to adjust your seat and stuff to to make people as effective as possible um, in, in working from home. And then over time, we saw that move to things like resilience training, um, managing virtual teams, etc. Our role was sort of within learning was around making sure people had access to the content, was curation of of content and promoting the things that would be really useful and and helpful for people at that point in time. So, yeah, it was playlists. It was um, portal with access to the key learning. It was how to access um, some of our catalogs of learning remotely, et cetera. And then over time, uh, we also made a, a decision to take our some of our main learning catalogs and actually expand those beyond the company. So, um, we started offering Coursera for friends and family as well and, and paying for licenses for those. Um, we've now had over 12,000 people um, who have actually taken advantage of that and um, are using um, Coursera access. So it's extending learning to not just being curious within the company, but even taking it beyond to friends and family. Uh, and that now also includes language learning and other things that, that we're offering as well. Great. And, and, and I know uh, I, like that, I like the way you kind of set that up you know, from that shift. And I, the question that poses me was, was some of those decisions around learning to promote specific times, was that linked to some of the surveying you, you were doing of, of, of some of these newly virtual? So first thing, it's the practicalities. How can I work at home? How can I make sure all my systems are set up properly? And then it moves, as you said, to things like resilience. Was there, was there a link with, with some of the surveys that you were doing with um, employees as yeah. well? I think um, the the immediate piece w- was just based on our, I guess, our own personal experiences and and you know talking to teams and, and what we hear that um, surveys came, but probably a month or whatever afterwards. Um, so it was initially just yeah based based on what we're seeing, what we're hearing, what we were personally experiencing, and then curating things to do that, and then also you know watching the trends, I guess, of of what. Um, what people were accessing in order to be able to see that the direction that things were going um, and that was a sort of shift then between the, the practical tools of using it through to the more um, softer aspects of, of how do I cope uh, personally and from a mindset which is, is more to the resilience piece and uh, we also there um, we have a program called Energize for Life so we, we made then access to um, an app um, from a company called Tignum, which is all around sleep and nutrition and mindsets and movement. Uh, there's also a, a mindfulness app um, from Michael Bunting that we made available for associates, and these also for, for friends and family as well, um, in order to help with that sort of the more mindset side of what people were going through, which is, is almost the more the more challenging piece for many people. I think it's great that you you expanded the the access to some of the learning to friends and family of of, of, of employees as well. I think you know, given that the 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 blurring of work and, and home life now is, is you know, 
this is my yeah. this is my office. I walk outside yeah. my office, and that's my house. So it's yes. uh, <laughs> and that, has that has that gone down well? It sounds like it's gone down very well. Twelve thousand people taking it up, but, but, but obviously yeah. you, you probably get some. Yeah, I think it's been very, very well received, both in terms of the take up and and also the um, I guess the the goodwill and appreciation, if you like, that it's done. Um, we're also very fortunate to be able to support the the Khan Academy as well with a donation at the start of this. So recognizing that a lot of our associates had children at home, schools were closing, not all schools had a, a good virtual learning piece. Um, Khan Academy is, is a fantastic resource and they had seen a, an enormous spike in their usage um, and they're a not-for-profit. So they, they needed uh, support with that. So we were able to, to also support there and then promote that to uh, our associates as well, um, which I know was, was also very well received um, in terms of people who yeah, weren't sure necessarily how their, their children would learn with closed schools and suddenly there's there's access to a great resource there with Khan Academy that, that could help as well. So. so you know potentially a future kind of course or evolution of learning and development it's not just about supporting your employees it's about supporting their friends and families as well and you know, as yeah. a, you know and that's a great thing that a large organization like Novartis, Novartis can do. Yeah, I mean, going back to I mentioned earlier, we had the sort of five strategic pillars of which uh, data and digital is one, but one of the others is around building trust with society. So it it, it ties in strategically as well that we're able to, as a, as a company that is curious, we're able to uh, to offer learning um, beyond the, the boundaries of the company as well. We talked a little bit around how you you're correlating some of the learning with with some of the sort of, um, you know, skills, for example, but how, how else are you using analytics in, in L&D at Novartis? Yeah, I mean, historically, we've we've not been great at, at analytics. So go back a couple of years, we had when we had fragmented learning systems, you know, we, we really were working with, with almost no data. Um, over the course of the last year, probably we've seen, I would say, massive improvements. And in, in you mentioned Ashish's uh, people and, and organization analytics team earlier, and, and that team has been hugely um, helpful for us in creating a, a dashboard of our learning data. You know, every few weeks, there's new features adding to that that we can go deeper into the data and understand what's happening. So now we can look at our learning activity. We can cut it by a division. We can cut it by geography. We can cut it by band. We can uh, look at the courses that are most um, accessed against any of those dimensions etc so th- that gives us an enormous insight into what's happening we can look at voluntary learning versus mandatory learning and see that the splits and things uh, and then use that to be uh, either targeting particular populations where we maybe don't see the the um curiosity if you like that we would like to see in terms of uptake of learning or we can make sure the message is is right so we can one of the recent ones we were looking at for this since may for example to july this year we saw a 20 percent increase in the amount of voluntary learning that's taking place so that that's great to see you know it's not just the mandatory learning but actually the voluntary piece is picking up which is people ultimately being curious it also allows us to start to ask questions with the, that analytics team there so the, the one that we're working on at the moment is the linkage between attrition and learning and specifically learning hours um, and the early data is starting to show that the more 
uh, time people are spending learning. So the higher the learning hours, actually, the, the lower the likelihood of attrition. So our attrition data is in people that were leaving were likely those that were doing lower learning hours. If you're doing higher learning hours, that corresponded even more likely to be to be staying with the organization. So that's one we're, we're sort of delving into uh, further. But starting to get the data means we can then ask the questions and having the analytics team there, we can then start to, to understand much better uh, what's actually going on and what's driving what. Yeah, and you mentioned that other correlation earlier around managers that learn tend to have teams mm. that learn as well. Then, then maybe there's an interesting question around that as well. You know, Definitely. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And I think that will be one of our next ones to be yeah, diving into. Yep. Great. And so the next thing, extending the measurement thing. So how do you, how are you, you talked again a little bit, but how are you measuring skills and curiosity at Novartis and how do you correlate the two together? Yeah, so skills measurement through, um, I guess, various different mechanisms, um, but one is through some of our partners. So our, our work with Coursera, for example, gives us some fantastic insights into skills metrics. Um, of They have a, a skills index that uses multiple data points of um, you know, the level of a, a program that someone is going through is it sort of fundamental or advanced etc um how often then people go through the assessments how they do in the assessments do they retake them all of these things feed into a, an index um that then allows us to look at our relative skill not an individual level but at a, an organization level and because they've been got customers across many uh, other pharma companies we can then look at an industry or a sort of all company uh, basis and that's where some of those those insights like the data visualization that i was referring to allows us to see you know relative to others where are we um, and, and, are, and where are we moving so we were able to look at finance skills and see actually they were pretty static across uh, the last 18 months um, and then if we look at something like some of the digital skills actually we see you know actually they were much more uh, movement in those um, as it was newer skills and, and an area that we were developing versus something that we already had a uh, an existing skill set in so it, it helps us to quantify much better I guess where we are and also then look across you know many skills and see okay these ones we're, we're leading these ones we're actually in lower quartile you know is, is that okay um, or is that something we want to focus on uh, is it that actually just the data is missing it because actually most of the learning is happening in in another area versus is there or, or is that something we need to actually focus our attention on and that's helping us to then make sure we are channeling our effort into things where actually it's a strategic skill that maybe we're not where we need to be um, and we can we can then target that and make sure we've got the right solutions but also then the right encouragement or uh, curricula for people to be able to work on them and it seems like um you know with a lot with a lot of um hr or people and organization as, as it is an artist well, these sort of measures starting to break down some of the silos that we've traditionally had we've had learning we've had talent and you know, clearly there's that link between learning the, you, you understand the skills that you need within the organization to help deliver on the strategy and you're aligning the learning towards that and linking that together um, seems yes. like a big evolution in, in, in learning over the last few years yeah and seeing increasingly um, more and more partnership um, beyond the learning world into talent into talent acquisition etc um, as we start to look at you know what are the capabilities the organization needs what's the skills needs that come out of that um, and then you know do we have those skills which is into the sort of skills assessment or understanding of the skills that exist in the organization you know, 
are they where they need to be or do we need to move people around through projects or move people around through role changes? Then you get in sort of, we haven't got the skills as they need to be. So do we build those skills? Do we reskill people from something completely different and, and really go into depth to build those? Or do we then go outside the organization and actually buy those in through recruitment? Or do we borrow those through uh, externals and, and gig workers, etc.? So you then get into sort of that whole workforce management piece, essentially, um, and, and it all starts to interconnect. So I think just looking at it, a silo is is becoming increasingly probably not the way to, to be doing it. You need to look at it in that joined up way. And then the technology ultimately needs to support that as well, which is a, a whole extra complex layer that uh, sits there. And have you done any work to see how the learning investment in learning you're making is supporting your internal mobility across the organization as well? So some. So we have, um, for example, things like um, a, a talent marketplace where we have can publish um project work and people can then apply into those project work so you can not just build your skills learning through um more formal content but actually you can you can build your experience through then spending 20 percent of your time on a on a particular project so we've got a couple of those sort of portals where people can publish um project work or seek project work and then and then build their skills that way helping with that that talent mobility piece so Let's go back to the seven C's quickly. Did you see the seven C's as a framework for LND more broadly? Or or put it another way, you know, obviously curiosity is a centre of, of what you're doing at Novartis. Do you think it should be the centre core of any LD strategy? I'm probably biased, but yes. <laughs> uh, and I guess why? Because um, I guess curiosity goes a bit beyond pure learning, or at least how we've maybe defined learning um, historically uh, goes into learning through asking questions through wondering um you know is there a better way what if we were to do this and then exploring that one sense of wonder to actually you know test that out experiment to try things i think then from a a learning perspective is if we can encourage people to be curious like that and go on that journey of discovery that unearth things that then we need to uh, find ways to share across the organization so yeah we asked a question we tried something out we learned something from it either successfully or unsuccessfully how do we then share that learning uh, with another part of the organization so that another team that was wondering the same thing doesn't need to go through that same process they can actually learn from what already happened and then things can move much faster so you, you move beyond almost personal learning into organizational learning i think there's a role there for, for learning functions and moving into od teams and things as well of how do you how do you surface and share that organizational learning and maybe it's even going into what we would have historically called knowledge management aspects so curious Curiosity sort of generates this this uh, motivation for people to learn and these new insights that come out from it. Um, and then there's a role for for learning teams, I think, um, and, and HR teams more broadly to how do we share that learning to so it gets to the right people at the right time, so the organisation can can benefit from it. And that's hard. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's, I think you know I I really like it, and I think you know we maybe as a profession we've underplayed the importance of asking questions and, and, and starting from that point. And I like the way that the, the curiosity is, is kind of positioned around that as a, as a starting point. Yeah. That leads nicely onto the question where we're asking all our guests on the show in, in this particular series. You know, so there's a two frame question. So I'll start the first. What, what, will, what do you see as being, you're, you're running, a, you know, you're running um, L&D at, at one of the you know, biggest, most progressive organisations in the world. What do you see the role of L&D in, in 2030? So I think um, 
it probably builds very nicely on what we were just saying, actually. So it, it's it's almost blurring the boundaries between what is learning and what is work, um, and creating the um, environment, um, whether that's cultural environment, technological environment, um, mindset, um, so that people are actually you know, constantly learning, um, and that almost the, the work becomes learning because it's the work is around what if we could do this better you know why are we doing it like that why don't we do it like that is there a better way those those curious questions then creating um better ways creating learning and then sharing that learning so i think there's a there's a whole piece there and you could call it learning in the flow of work you could call it knowledge management you could call it many pieces but it's sort of this this blurring that work is is no longer a, a set process work becomes a, because of the, the speed of digital and other things that are coming it becomes you're constantly trying to figure out our way through ambiguity and and figure out the best way and how do we cap, how do we capture that learning share that learning and that we can all benefit from it so i think that's one piece i think the the evolution of the sort of skilling uh, part is going to be very interesting um so by 2030 hopefully we will have done a, a successful job as a, a broader probably hr function around integrating many of the, the different parts around skilling and reskilling and and sort of strategic workforce management and bringing all of that together so we do a much better job of building the skills that people need giving them the experience through the right roles planning their succession through the organization and development etc um I think it's a whole tech piece probably that's that's really interesting. So I had a session actually this morning with uh, some of our team looking at virtual reality and augmented reality and, and the stuff that's happening in augmented reality actually is is phenomenal. Um, some of the, the experiments that we're looking at there. So with the uh, HoloLens 2, there's some some amazing stuff that's, that's coming. So I think you know, by 10 years time, that may be commonplace. And we see you know, whether it's a virtual coach that is there sort of looking and seeing what you're doing and guiding you through it in some of the more manufacturing or technical aspects or whether it's just-in-time performance support that's guiding you through looking at what you're seeing and overlaying what you need to be doing uh 10 years time that i'm sure that will be probably commonplace so uh, i think as long as we're staying focused on what the business needs there's there's a, uh, and also actually what our people need so there's almost the two stakeholders of the business and and our people um there's going to be a very interesting role for the learning teams to play in uh, in shaping that world Actually, you talked a little bit about that that relationship of HR and skilling and everything else. I've seen quite a few, or I've seen a growing number of pieces out there advocating that the CLO should sit outside HR and report directly to the CEO. And I'm just wondering, what's your what what are your thoughts around that? Should should that happen, or or, or is it just not a, a simple yes or no answer? I, there was an article from BCG um, that I saw a couple of weeks ago, which I did in fact forward to uh, one of my bosses, our, our chief people and organisation officer, to say, you know, you need to read this, and that was entitled something like "Learning should sit on the uh, under the CEO" or whatever. But I did caveat that with, uh, for us, I don't think that's necessary, and it was actually more that the rest of the article. But uh, for me, it doesn't really matter where it sits, as long as you have um, the right support and you have the right. Um, I guess, strategic view around the value that, that, that learning can bring. So I sit in our people and organization, which is, which is HR, and that works very well. Um, we have a, a chief people and organization officer who's very strategic and gets how the pieces fit together. So it's, it's a very good place to be located. Um, so I think it depends really on the organization. It depends upon the 
uh, the skill sets or the the strengths of the individuals involved. Um, I don't think it's it's necessarily necessary. Um, in some places, it it may be beneficial. I think the the behind the question, I guess, is that learning has an increasing importance, um, and it becomes increasingly strategic, and it should be helping to support the the, the strategy and the goals of the organisation. From a reporting line, it doesn't really matter where it sits as long as it's able to, to deliver on that. So, yeah, I, I tend to agree, and I think a lot some of the big consultancies are very keen to uh, to break up HR because I guess they get work to help organisations to design, do some more <laughs> design around that. Perhaps I don't know. And actually, listening to you throughout the the last sort of forty minutes or so, you know what we what we're trying to do in HR is break down some of the traditional silos in HR. So that's been hard enough for, for many organizations. So if some if something as important as strategic as learning set outside, you just, you wonder whether that would be even more difficult. So uh... exactly. And it's trying to strike the balance. So in our, our global heads of learning sit generally in our strategy teams um, outside of HR, um, but they have a dotted line into me sitting within HR. So you get the balance then between you've got to be close to the business, but you also need to be close increasingly to the other aspects within an HR function, because all of these things are, are starting to fit together, technology needs to fit together. So I think completely removing it, you lose one of the, the critical partnerships to, to make this stuff a success. And as I said, I'd encourage people listening to this to, to, to one of the episodes of the, of the Curious Advantage podcast, where you speak with Vaz, the CEO, and, and Novartis and Stephen, the, the chief people officer. Um, you know, fascinating conversation. Definitely recommend people listen to that. Well, Simon, it gone by very quickly. Um, thank you so much for being a guest on on the on the on the podcast and sharing your expertise uh, with our listeners. Can you let listeners know how they can stay in touch with you and also find out more about the Curious Advantage? Yeah, so um, LinkedIn is, is probably the best place to get in touch with me. So um, I, I'm often sharing what we're doing on there. And it's one of my main sources of, of learning through there. Uh, for the Curious Advantage, so the, the book is available on Amazon. Um, if you go to curiousadvantage.com, you can find all of the supporting material and information on it. Um, and the Curious Advantage podcast uh, is also on the curiousadvantage.com site, but it's also on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts, uh, iTunes, etc. So find it on, on all good podcast uh, services. Great. And I'll just say to listeners, if you like this podcast, you'll enjoy The Curious Advantage. So uh, do check it out. Simon, thank you very much for, for being a guest on the show. And uh, yeah, I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Yeah, it's great to talk. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. You can subscribe via your podcast app of choice. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show in your podcast app and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. If you haven't already, do check out the MyHR Future Academy at myhrfuture.com. It's a learning experience platform for HR professionals looking to get certified in people analytics, digital HR, and workforce planning. You can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter by going to the MyHR Future website. That's all for this episode, but please make sure you tune in next week when we'll be speaking to Vidya Krishnan, Chief Learning Officer at Ericsson, about the role of technology and analytics in learning. So don't miss that one. Stay safe, stay well, and I'll see you next time.